Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You see the outline on our screen to those that are here in the assembly, uh, we're going to be using that uh, probably on point number two, Jesus, the author of salvation in Hebrews uh, chapter two. We're going to look at verse five and then we're going to go down to, um, we're going to go past that. I just need to re-go re over verse five and we'll start again with verse 12 and 13 and on. So this, um, this letter to the, that we call Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews, uh, or that, that thinking it was intended, of course, first off to be, and, and most precisely to the Hebrew mind, to the Hebrew culture, in explaining who Jesus of Nazareth truly was in every aspect. And that was job one. Now, of course, we need to know too. We also need to understand the Hebrew thinking uh, to help us uh, understand the scriptures in general. Because actually, all the way through, we find uh, God's uh, covenant people from starting with, uh, uh, of course, we find the... uh, whole concept of the Hebrew people, beginning with um, Abraham, and then later on, uh, through Moses, the covenant, and all these things. Uh, but it's a, it's a book written to God's people, and mostly um, in ending with the end of the covenant people of God, the Jewish people, and that first covenant coming to a conclusion in, in the Revelation. But we find the mindset or the thinking is um, Hebrew in nature, if you will. We need to understand this. And that's why this, this letter is, is a very complete work in knowing God's Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, to understand that the Father had this plan, if you will, to redeem mankind through the blood of his only begotten Son from creation in the mind of God. So when did that that come about? We don't know, but it was uh, from creation before the creation, actually. We're pretty sure of that. So the covenant people of God and all of the nations that were added later would have access to the saving pattern of salvation through him. That is, through God's plan and his son, Jesus Christ, his work. (coughs) Now, this letter makes clear the very essence of God's son as the redeemer of mankind. 
I just don't know where you're going to find more. The, the Gospels, of course, uh, is, is where we are introduced to the life, if you will, of, the, of Christ, the Messiah, uh, his, uh, the beginning and, of course, the ministry years. But Hebrews and even the epistles themselves, the other epistles, teach us the spiritual side of this a lot, a lot better. Now, um, from that thinking, part of my introduction, I want to say this. It also, the letter, sets in order, I think, the promise of God to free men from the bondage of sin. And this is, of course, the issue. It's the who, what, where, and when, you know, of this whole idea. Who? Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the who. Um, sent by the Father. What? Well, the, the what is the salvation from sin, the reconciliation back to God, the human race. To be reconciled from sin, to have a way to live in the kingdom of God with time with, uh, without time with no end, if you will. The where? Well, it began in Jerusalem. You see, the, that, that's key, where it began. It began in Jerusalem. It was for also Samaria. It was for Palestine. And then it was be, went out to all nations everywhere where it is also going this very moment this very day, this very second, if you will. And when did all this happen? You see, when? Well, that, that's important, isn't it? When? Birth, the birth of Christ, I guess, is the, is the culmination of the promise. But it's not the complete fulfillment. It takes a passage of time. Uh, the birth of Christ, uh, about 2 B.C., as we look at the calendar. The church was born uh, just after the crucifixion of Christ, A.D. 31. So redemption and the, and the covenant in Christ's blood was established at that time, but it, it lived uh, alongside of the law for nearly 40 years in the transorier trite uh, lifestyle there where the Jews had access and ability for nearly 40 years to make a decision for Christ. And it, within that time period, God opened up salvation in, in Christ or through Christ to the Gentiles. About seven or eight years after um, it, was, it was born on Pentecost, A.D. 31. So, the kingdom that was born there is a kingdom that the Bible teaches has no end. There is no end of the kingdom found in Scripture. So we, we hear a lot in the religious world concerning the end of things, um, the end of the world, the, this and that. We don't find that in Scripture. We find the end of the things that uh, that have come about, and, and those things need to be understood uh, in that time frame. Now, as I said, I want to look at verse 5. 
chapter 2, verse 5 again, just to uh, get it uh, straight in our, our thinking again, because I wanted to make just a little clarification about it. And Young's writes it this way, For not to messengers, or the angels, did he subject the about-to-come world concerning which we speak. Now, what's being said there? Last week I said that uh, the world to come was the age. Well, because there's two ages spoke about here. The, the Jewish age and the Christian age, in, in, a, in, a, in a sense. Uh, but the Greek word there used for world is the, is the word, to be more exacting, it is the world for, it means those inhabiting the earth at that time. Remember, it had to be a start of this. It had to be a, a birth point of the covenant, and that's where it was. To those inhabiting the earth at that time, that's what the word "world" there. You'd never know that, would you? You might know it. You would. You can deal with the word "world" if you understand the real truth behind it. But it's rather confusing. Um, and normally, the word—well, not normally—but there's a root word there for the idea of age um, that splinters out into many other things. So the world about to come upon that time period of those inhabiting the earth at that time was the full-grown kingdom of God, the church of Christ, if you will. And the removing of the covenant that was in in place, that was given under Moses and instituted by the angels of God. That was, that's the truth of it. There's a lot to this, isn't there? But that's really what it is. In one little short verse, it, it talks about that. That's why that verse is so important, that we need to get a clarification um, on these things. But remember, the people of the first, first century A.D., they had a, a very good understanding of the idea of that first covenant. And now there was a new covenant that had come upon them, and this is what the apostles went out and, and started to preach the, the kingdom of, of God and that it had come and, and that the kingdom of Christ um, was upon them. As they had preached three and a half years earlier about the nearness of, they were now preaching about the, the time was at hand for the full-grown kingdom to be in place, and it did come in A.D. 70, as we know. Now, verses 12 and 13. Let's look at them again. I know we read them last week, but let, let's do it again. There's a couple Old Testament passages we want to look at. And here we find it says, saying, I will declare thy name, to my brethren. Now the I is the Messiah, Jesus. It will declare the name of God to the brethren, his brethren, the brethren of Christ. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to thee, and again 
I will be trusting on him. And again, behold I and the children that God gave or give to me. In the continuing sense here. All right. Let's look at Psalm 22.22. Psalm 22.22. Then there's another one in Isaiah we'll look at. Here's where that we find this in a messianic uh, passage here. I declare thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I praise thee. Now, what we have to understand here, friends, is we're talking about the assembly of the brethren. These are Jewish people. These are descendants of Abraham by the flesh. Now, remember... We are descendants, as a Christian, we are a descendant of Abraham through faith. Just as much as a descendant as the Jewish people were of Abraham then. Just as much, not a secondary, not a second class, but through faith we also have descended through the promise that was given Abraham that Alex read this morning. The promise was given to Abraham and the promise of God for the very thing that we're dealing with here, the kingdom of God, the church, if you will, that we, we, live, we live here. Now, that's Psalm 22, 22 is Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. Isaiah 8, 17 and 18 says this, And I have waited for Jehovah, who is hiding his face, from the house of Jacob. And I have looked for him. Lo, I and the children whom Jehovah has given to me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from Jehovah of hosts who is dwelling in Mount Zion. You see how these passages are referred to in this verse here in the letter to the Hebrews. Why? Because these passages are known to the Hebrews. They wanted these things to come together in their thinking so they would see the confirming the Messiahship of Jesus of Nazareth. And so it does. So these Messianic prophecies here, they point to the relationship of the Lord to his Father, and the Lord to his brethren, that is, those that are in him through faith, through the obedience to the terms of pardon, the gospel message, because Jesus is indeed the elder brother of those in Christ. And that's how he is seen. The elder brother, the Lamb of God, all the different phrases that the scripture gives us to the understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth truly is, was, and will always be, as I believe I said before. This is who Jesus is. In part, this isn't all of it. And I wonder, in in way of a question, can we ever know the fullness of the Lord in this life? I mean, we can know what the Scripture says, 
We can try to understand everything that it gives us there, but I doubt we're going to really know the fullness of all of this in this life. So, something to look forward to in that hope of heaven, if you will, is to have many other questions answered in a way that will bring joy and not, and not tears will bring joy and fulfillment instead of doubt and concern. All right. So the last part of this is verses 14 through 18. Jesus, the Son of God, became like his brothers, like his brethren, rather, to save them and become their high priest. Who was Jesus? The Son of Mary? born a child in the Jewish world under the Jewish covenant, under the law of Moses, to a Jewish mother and lived a life of a Jewish man. Obedient to the Father, obedient to the law, sinless, and became the very Messiah of God as God had planned and as had been announced on the day on the night of his birth by the angels from heaven and was prophesied even at the birth of John the immerser six months beforehand his father Zechariah prophesied concerning not only his son but but Jesus the birth of Jesus also how he would be the savior of his people All of this was known. Now let's look at verses 14 through 18. From the youngs it reads this way. Seeing then the children having partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus himself, also in like manner did did take part in the same that through the death he might destroy him, having the power of death, that is, the devil, was destroyed. And we'll read a passage in Philippians to confirm all of this, and, and also one in, the, in 1 John. Verse 15, he might deliver those whoever with fear, whoever with fear of death throughout all their lives were subject to, Subjects of bondage. Bondage to what? Sin and Satan. Verse 16, For doubtless of the angels it doth not lay hold, but of the seed of Abraham it layeth hold. In other words, this message is not for the angels. This is for the seed of Abraham. The Jewish people and Those through faith that come to Christ and are in Christ. That's the promise we find from the apostolic preaching of the apostles. Wherefore, it did behoove him in all things to be made like to the brethren, that he might become a kind of steadfast chief priest in the things with God to make appropriation for the sins of the people. 
For in that he suffered, himself being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. All right, the first part here is that because the children, because the Jewish people were flesh and blood, the Messiah was sent to be a man. Now, if this is critical in the world of Christianity, he wasn't sent to be an apparition or a vapor that looked like a man. And that's what we might believe if we listen to everyone about this. No, Jesus of Nazareth was a man. And I hate to use the, the mathematical formula of 100% because I've heard it said that he was 100% man and 100% God. Now, friends, that math doesn't work in the world we live in. So it's just not true. You will not find any phrase in the Scripture when speaking of Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus not being a man, flesh and blood. The Son of God? Yes. Remember, we're more than flesh and blood. We're also spirit. And of course, that's the spirit that we find in Jesus. So, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This is what the the apostles taught concerning this. So that people would know. Why was Jesus a man? Philippians 2. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I have it wrong. Now, Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Yeah, I don't know where I got those other verses. Okay, <clears throat> this is concerning what the Apostle Paul is teaching to the church in Philippi concerning Jesus. Nothing in rivalry or vainglory but in humility of mind, one another counting more excellent than yourselves. Each, not to your own look, but each also to the things of others. For let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but did empty himself, the form of a servant having taken in the likeness of men having been made, and in fashion having been found as a man, he humbled himself, having become obedient unto death, death even of a cross. Wherefore also God did highly exalt him and gave him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee may bow, of heavenlies and earthlies and what are under the earth, and every tongue may confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, this is the truth of the nature of Christ, the nature of Jesus of Nazareth, if you will, uh, as he lived here and was suffered death, physical death, of a man on a cross with all the agony that that 
entails, plus the little added thing that we wouldn't have as a person, and that is the knowledge of what is going to come and what it's going to be like. And I always refer this to the first time I've been to the dentist. The first time you go, it's no big deal. The second time, you know what's coming. Well, enough said on that. Let's also look at First John three eight about the work of Christ. The Apostle John tells us. He who is doing the sin of the devil, he is. Because from the beginning, the devil doth sin. For this was the Son of God was manifest. So let me read that again. For this was the Son of God manifested that he may break up or destroy the works of the devil. Now, you know, we forget about that, and we we don't really talk about it too much, but we should have an understanding. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and, and they're, they're in that area, where Jesus is going to crush the head of Satan. And the Apostle Paul tells the church in Rome in Chapter, um, I believe it's 18, verse 20, that the church is about to crush the head of Satan or Satan under their feet, under the feet of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Christ destroys Satan and his work. Now remember, brethren, when it comes to these sorts of things to think about, that love removes fear from our lives. The more love you are, the more loving you are, and I, I mean love in the, in the sense of scriptural type love, the more fear will be forced out of your life. Even the idea of anxiety, because that's fear. And faith, your faith preserves the hope you have in Christ. You can't, you can't be a Christian without love and faith because it shortcuts everything that is real for you and that is promised in, in the faith. To be in Christ, to be born into a kingdom that has no end, And you know, there was never a kingdom like that before it happened in A.D. 31. The kingdom was born. It had been promised, but now it was real. But now it it had been born and would be full-grown when all of the elements of things that had come before were finally put away, rolled up, and, and, and... and under under the feet of Jesus, if you will, and the new kingdom began. So Jesus, as a man, did these things because he is also the Lamb of God that takes away the sin 
of the repentive soul, the contrite heart, those that obey the, the terms of pardon, if you will. So it's not the messengers that this came to, but, but, but the seed of Abraham, both the Jews and those in the faith. And he was made like man, that he could be the high priest. And Jesus is the one. Why is he our, the mediator that we, we pray? We take our troubles to Jesus because he understands them. A physical problem we're having, uh, anything. We take it to him because he knows what it is. And we can never say, ever say, when we, are, when we come face to face with the, the judgment, if you will, that you just don't understand how it is. That's why, that's all part of this. He understands. And we need to understand that he does understand. We don't have an argument that this life is too hard to live in a godly way. You have no idea how hard it was to live the life of Jesus of Nazareth. He had joy because of what he knew. For it says in verse 18, for in that he suffered, himself being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. That's what a high priest is. That's what a true high priest of Israel was always supposed to be. A comfort to those that came before him. To do the things in, uh, as a mediator between the people and God to, to deal with their sins, to deal with their physical problems, to deal with the questions they had and the answers to prayer. The kings of Israel would go to the high priest to see whether or not they should, should fight a war against somebody who was coming against them or what, what was God's, uh, what was God's uh, will in the matter. And whenever they did that, they got the right answer and, they, and things went well for them. But they decided after a while that being a king, I ought to know this on my own. But it didn't always go well for them because that was not the way. And as a Christian, we need to understand the same thing. If you want to go on it on your own without Without the high priest you have in Christ, without the access you have, then you are going to be a whole lot more alone than you're thinking. There's so much, so much to see within these passages, more than I have elaborated upon today. But, I, but as we move on, and I want to move on uh, in, in this, and, and reveal Jesus as he truly is, as the scriptures truly present him. Because within the world of Christendom, I do not find normally that Jesus is presented in the way that is useful to, to us uh, other than uh, some sort of a religious type ceremony. And life is a lot more than that. 
We need to be in Christ every day of our life. We need to be in Christ when we get up in the morning, when we, when we take care of all the things that we have to do. We're still in Christ. So what would, uh, and I'm sure that's why the phrase, what would Jesus do, comes about, because that needs to be our thinking, not just the mantra of that, saying that over again, over again in our head, <clears throat> because Jesus doesn't live this life that we live, but we have an understanding that we do have an avenue, that we do have an answer through Christ to those things that we need to be doing and thinking about. Those would be my comments today on this passage, and we will move on from here, uh, seeing what the letter of Hebrews had to say uh, when it was written. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.